fits in so beautifully. Uh, thank you. All right, so thanks for the clock, guys. Uh, thanks for recording and all that kind of stuff. All right, so I want to welcome you to our series. Uh, I may not have this, okay? I'm clicking it. Oh, I, maybe I did that. All right, so I want to welcome you to our series on Empowered. And Empowered is this idea that the Holy Spirit comes upon so that God can do his ministry through you. Okay, that's how he did it with Jesus. That's how he wants to do it with us. And that's what we're talking about. Now, today, we're going to talk about something having to do with that. That I just need to be really transparent and real with you. Honest to goodness, as the Lord unveiled to me what it was that comes next in Luke, I'm not totally sure that I'm, I want to do this. No, that's not true. I want to be a person that wants to do this. And I think I am a person that wants to do that. So I think I've covered the first hurdle, right? First thing is you got to want to do what God wants you to do, right? So I think I'm in the place to where I want to do what we're going to talk about today. But can I tell you that I'm, I know that I'm not in a place to where, um, to not just be a hearer, but a doer. I know I'm not in the place to get there. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm going to teach you something that the Lord is showing us about how to move in his power that I'm telling you, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> Have I piqued your interest some? Okay, let me show you what I'm talking about. God says, this afternoon, people are going to be getting together. And there's party and there's worship night. So people are going to be getting together for things, right? And God says, that when you do that, there's particular people that I want you to invite. And I want to show you the kind of thing that he's talking about when he says this. Now, think about this. You're at your house. You're having dinner. You've invited people in. And God says on the guest list, I want somebody like this. Do you know who that is? Well, that's Jeffrey Dahmer. And I, I forget. I think it was 19 murders that they proved. And there was more. And I want to say something because I need, to, I need to just be careful about this. God is not asking you to bring someone into your house who is a threat to your life. He's not asking you to do that. Okay? He is asking you, however, to bring someone into your house that is a total threat to your comfort and a total threat to even what you want. When we walk down the street and we see... Actually, Kirk, pop up here. Kirk, pop up here. Here. Let's just say that Kirk looks like a homeless person. Now, he does not, okay, clearly, all right? But let's just say that Kirk, right, now here's what we do when we're walking down the street and we spy them from some distance away. See, we make a course correction so that we don't get inside that zone where we might get sucked into that vortex. Isn't that right? See what I mean? We make a course correction to get around that person, thanks. Thanks. Okay? Now here's, here's what Jesus is saying. I'm actually asking you to just simply go on your course. And if I place someone there like this, I want you to think and see them differently. And not just in the abstract, to the point that Jesus is out of Pharisee's house one time, and, and what he says to the Pharisee, is he turned to his host, 
when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. They'll invite you back, and that, that will be your only reward. He's not saying never have a dinner with your friends again. You see that? He's just saying, I want you to understand something about life that you're not really catching, that you're not really getting a hold of, that, that you do realize that when we make that course correction, and, and we all do this. Everybody said that they've done that before. Everybody in here said that they've done that before, right? Let's just be honest, right? Now, you do realize that when we do that, that we're fulfilling the bad part of the Good Samaritan story, right? Because those are religious people who see something that they don't want to deal with, and so they go across the street and go around it. You see that? So you do realize that we've already identified ourselves properly, which is to say that we're the ones that are making those course corrections along with the religious leaders right? And so what he's saying to this guy is, is he's saying, I want you to think about life differently. I want you to think about people differently. I want you to think about the things that I'm putting before you differently. And what he's saying is, they'll invite you back and that'll be your only reward. Again, nothing wrong with having a dinner with your friends and so on. Just understand what the nature of it is. What he is saying is, instead invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Here's what we do. The reason why we can make our course correction and not think of ourselves as the religious people in the Samaritan story, the reason why we can do that is, is because we've figured out a formula about these people. You're going to hear about this hopefully a lot more next week, so I'm only touching on it. I promise you I'm not stealing anything, okay? But, but here's what I want to say. That formula is what's killing us. That formula is what's stealing from us. Does anybody remember who this guy is? Remember him? Anybody know his name? His name is Ted Williams. What, what show was he on? I'm trying to rack my brain and trying to remember. I can't remember. What show was he on? How did he get discovered? Was it on Good Morning America? It was just on a, on a show? Okay, so I, I can't remember exactly how they got to him, but the point is, is, is that this guy, you know, again, he, here, this is after the fact, and so he's actually cleaned up a little bit. When you saw him in pictures before, he was the kind of guy that most people, if they were walking down the street, would have made a course correction around. That's who he was. And then it turned out he has this malicious, this beautiful voice, and you know what I mean? And he was a radio announcer and so on, and they got him jobs. Does anybody know what's happened to him since? Did he fall back into drugs and so on? I don't know, but I know that they, they decided, when they brought him in, they were all excited. They could use his voice and give him the riff. Yeah. But then they realized he had all sorts of problems. Yeah. Yeah, that's the last I heard, too, that he was in treatment. And, and so you get the point, right? But, but here's, here's what I'm going after. When you heard this guy talk, when you actually heard him talk, what happened in your heart was you fell in love with him. It's not that he didn't have drugs. It's not that the formula doesn't have some accuracy to it. There were drugs. There were choices. There were bad things, right? But the point is that God has just made us this certain way that when we see people and hear their story, no matter how bad it is, there's just something in us that's drawn to them. You know, God's made us to be one with one another. He's made us to be there for each other. And you just get drawn there and in this, in this beautiful, loving way. And what God is trying to do and what we're going to be looking at today is God is trying to change our hearts 
about how we see these kinds of things, and I'm going to go into it in a lot different way, but here's what we're doing as it concerns empowered. It turns out that if you don't have this heart, if you're not actually doing it, that you're actually completely undermining the ability for God to move through you in power. We want him to move through us in power, right? We want him to do miracles through us. And if we're not willing to go where he wants us to go, then that's where he would have done what we would have seen and said, that's what I want him to do. <laughs> okay? So this is a very important one. Like I say, it's going to get deeper and so on. But Greg Fisher is the guy who's going to be praying for us today. I don't know if you guys know, but Greg is just awesome in a whole lot of ways. But one of the things he's doing for the church is he does our sign out front. So if you like some of those funny things like bacon, the duct tape to food, or you know what I mean? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry, but this one was so awesome. It was uh, uh, autocorrect is my worst enema. <laughs> I just, I don't know where you're getting that stuff from, but it is hilarious. But then he also puts all kinds of blessings on there. He puts all kinds of reach out stuff. We've had lots of people call us from the sign and the things that he's doing. So it's phenomenal. So Greg, would you pray for the sermon? Would you lift up another church? Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you show up and you've come here this morning. As we worship you in spirit and truth, we thank you for your presence. Bless the sermon. Uh, bless the technology. Bless the word you're going to bring through Kurt. May the soil of our hearts be uh, fertile and may it produce an abundant crop of blessing and righteousness that we can be a blessing and show your love to people throughout the week with. And I also pray for the March Hill churches this morning, that you bless the, their congregations, that they would worship you in spirit and truth, and Amen. also be a blessing to the communities that they're involved in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great prayer, Greg. Thank you very much. All right. In order to get us to where we're going today, and to where we're going today is the Beatitudes, right? You've heard about the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, and so on. When you get to the Beatitudes, and one of the things we're going to find out is, is that we've actually been reading those things exactly the opposite of what God intended them to be read forever. Okay? We just all do. So, but let me get there. And to get there, I've got to kind of look at Luke. Remember what we're doing with Luke is we're peeling back the stories so that we can see the flow. This is a flow that has been happening to the disciples, but they were living it 24-7, so it unfolded differently than it does in the writing of it. But here's the point. When, when God inspired Luke to write what he wrote, there was a flow, and the stories connect to each other. One story leads to another in a way that there's a purpose in it. And that's one of the things that we're finding the most revelation is, is how one story connects to another. Because we're seeing this flow that God is trying to bring us into. See it? All right. Now, with that in mind, I want to start, uh, I just got to do a quick overview. Jesus is born of the Spirit, so he's got the Spirit inside, but he does not do ministry until he's about 30 years old, he's at the Jordan, and John baptizes him in the water for the sins that are actually our sins, but nonetheless, then the Holy Spirit comes upon him and empowers him, and from then on, he's in ministry mode. See it? And so what he does is, in ministry mode, he goes up and he's tempted in the wilderness, and then he comes back from the wilderness, and here's what he says when he walks into the, to the, his home church. He picks up the scroll, and he reads from Isaiah, where it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now watch the points that he's upon him doing. 
He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. See? And the, the Lord's favor is that there's good news to the poor, captives are released, blind will see, and oppressed set free. You see that? See how that reads? And so what he's saying is, is he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. And then the very next thing that he does is he goes out and he ministers to a demoniac, meaning a guy that has demons. Now, we're talking about a flow, and we're saying that God wants us to see a flow, and he wants us to follow that flow. How many of you would like to be the very first miracle, the very first time that you ever prayed for anybody, to be over a demoniac? Wouldn't you love to start instead with, you know, your beloved child who has a cold? See what I mean? Isn't that, shouldn't we be ramping up a little bit? Shouldn't we be doing this in a, in a way that allows us to sort of get the feel for this thing? I mean, demoniac, where does that come? I don't know, but it comes somewhere past where I am. See what I mean? No matter how much I've gotten into there, that ought to come, I, I get it's coming, but it ought to be next, and the further off next, the better. Isn't that how we feel about it? Right? Jesus plunges right into the heart of what his heart is, setting captives free. See? Now, think about this for a second, because there's a story of a demoniac that, that's fairly famous, because this is a guy who, in his village, they have taken him to the graveyard and chained him there. Because he's so wild that they can't let him loose in town. People have to make all these course corrections, and he's just dangerous. So they take him, and they chain him up in the graveyard, and even that doesn't stop him. Right? And then what happens is Jesus comes, and he says, you know, who are you, legion? And then he puts him into the pigs, and the pigs rush into the water, and so on. But the bottom line is, when, the, when this guy who was demon-possessed is healed, is delivered, is set free... Then what he does is, watch this, as he's getting into the boat, Jesus, the man who'd been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him. Wouldn't you want that, right? If you were just set free from demons, wouldn't you be like, I'm staying with you, <laughs> right? But now watch this. What does Jesus tell him to do? Not, not saying you can't be with me because whatever. In love, not just in love, but in realizing the fullness of what this man has been called to, he tells him, go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now think about that for a second. These are the people that chained him up and put him in the graveyard. He might not be so happy about that. But actually, I think he knew that he was demon-possessed. And so he doesn't come back with a condemning, why did you chain me up in the graveyard? I think he comes back and says, you should have chained me up in the graveyard. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was dangerous. This was a bad thing that was happening to me. Very, very, very bad. See it? But then he comes back and he's in his right mind. So here's the point. See, what, who has Jesus asked us to come to dinner? Guess who's coming to dinner? Who's he asked us to bring to dinner? See? Now, now when, he was, when he was demon-possessed, yeah, I think it would have been a risk for the family, and I don't think that that's, God isn't going that far. But here's the point. 
this guy who was demon-possessed is now there, and he's in his right mind and talking, and you, just like Ted Williams, fall in love with him. All the more so. Because of what he's been through. Do you see it? I want to say, I don't know how much ministry you've done to homeless and the poor and the people that are, and so on. Julie and I have had people sleeping on our couches for months at a time, and, and uh, I've put people up in hotel rooms more times than I could possibly count, and I've done all kinds of, I mean, we've done a ton of things. But can I make something clear that we haven't done? The people that we invited to stay on our couch were people that were in a tough time, and they were, some of them, not totally in their right mind, but, but they were people that I knew. I can tell you what I haven't done. As much as we have done, I can tell you what I haven't done. I haven't invited people that I don't know and that I'm nervous about into my home. See it? Do you see that? Because that's past what I'm willing to do. See? I'm willing to do things for them, but not... You know, now, is there a safety concern there? Yes, I'm not, boy, you know, somebody goes out and invites the next homeless person they see into their house and then they steal everything you've got or, you know, do something other horrible thing. Okay, please don't get this out of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is I'm trying to challenge what, how we see this thing. Because what I'm trying to say is, is that we've got a formula in our mind about how to handle these people and we're working our formula in order to make it okay in what we're doing. And I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is coming and he is confronting that spirit directly. He's trying to say that there's a miracle to be had here. And let me ask you a question. If the first miracle you ever did was to deliver somebody from demons, how hard do you think it is to pray for a cold to get healed? Maybe, maybe starting that way makes it easier. Maybe being in the place where Isaiah 58 that we saw, heard read to us today, you know, when you do these things, then what? Then I'll do this stuff. I'll heal. I'll deliver. Maybe that's how it actually works. Maybe we actually step out and then he, see him, you get it? All right. So the next thing, there's other things that happen, and again, we're just kind of reviewing this because we want to get to what's about to happen in the scriptures today, but where he goes to next is, is that uh, he's at the sinner's place, and do understand, this is the one that Kevin preached on, do understand that when he's at that place, this is like the religious leader going to the mobster's house for dinner, choosing to go to the mobster's house. That's the same sense that the religious people had about it. See, it wasn't just that he was, a, you know, it, it was like going to the monster's house. This is inappropriate. You shouldn't be doing this. This is bad, don't you know, right? So he does that, and then what he does is he says, I'm Lord over the Sabbath, and what does that do to them? He heals somebody on the Sabbath, and despite, you know, they should have said, wow, you healed somebody on the Sabbath, maybe we're not understanding the Sabbath right, and we'd like to know how to heal people because that's what we care about. That's what you care about. But instead, they get incensed that he breaks their understanding of what the law is, even though it wasn't God's. And they were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. Okay? Now, what does that mean? They're going to kill him. They're starting to talk about killing him. The clock has started to his demise. Now, remember what we're doing is we're peeling back the stories and we're getting the connective tissue put together, right? So what's the next thing that happens? This is the passage we're in today. He now knows, he always knew it, but he now, it's in the world, 
that he's done things that have people incensed to the point that they're going to kill him. And the next thing he does is, during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. Now, what's he praying for? The disciples. When daylight came, he summoned 12 disciples, and he chose 12 of them, and he named them apostles. So think about what he's doing. He knows that he's going to his demise. He knows the clock is ticking. He's raising up other people. Now watch this, too. See, they're disciples. What's a disciple? Let me use more. It's not even common English anymore, but they're like, a type, disciples are like apprentices. They're learning the craft, but, but a disciple could still be somebody who was always an assistant. So one of the things that God makes clear right now by having Luke say it is, they're not just disciples, they're apostles, and that's what he calls them. What's apostle mean? Sent one. Now here's the difference between a disciple and an apostle. A disciple is somebody who may be assisting Jesus, but not doing the miracles. I don't think that when they get called, I don't think they understand that they're going to be doing miracles like he did it. I don't think they do. I don't think that's entered into their mind. They're thinking that they're going to be the helpers of this guy who's going to deliver the Jewish nation from the Roman oppressors. See? And that means they're going to have positions of power and influence. See what I mean? I think they've got that in their head. And what they do is, but all of a sudden what Jesus is saying is, you're not just going to be my disciples, you're going to be the ones that I send basically to do what I'm doing. You're going to be the new expression of me. See? So just right there, there's already got to be something. What does he mean by apostles? Am I going to be, you know, am I going to be like over a certain region or something? Or just think about it from the disciple standpoint. See, they're not getting it. We have benefit of the story, so we get it. Now, he does Simon, who's named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, who are also brothers, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who's called the Jealot, Judas, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. One of them he knew from the very beginning was a traitor, and there's a whole sermon in that, but we're not doing that sermon today, okay? But he chose somebody who he knew was going to betray him. So is Jesus putting himself in places of some sort of risk? Right, okay? Now, he chooses these 12. Now, they've been seeing, right? Remember, it was Simon's boat that he got into, and they've been seeing Jesus do miracles. So they're getting some understanding about who Jesus is and what he can do, right? Lord of the Sabbath, and he can forgive sins. And they're getting an understanding that this is really something else going on than they understand, right? Not just a miracle worker, but something else even then. But now, they're entering into the master's class. They're the ones who have been chosen to be equipped to not only do what Jesus did, but to do it in the same heart and the same spirit. And so what happens is, is that the next thing he does, he comes down with them. He stands on a level place, a large crowd of his disciples, a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, from the seacoast, Tyre and Sidon. They come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Now, Kirk, come up again. Kirk is a disciple. I've told him that I'm going to, he's going to be a sent one too. 
Now, I start doing all these miracles, and he knows that he's been chosen specially. He's not just one of the crowd watching anymore. He's one of the 12 now. See it? And he's seeing these miracles be done, and I'm arguing that they didn't really know that they were going to be doing the miracles, but you can imagine as they're seeing Jesus do things in power that, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You can imagine that one of the things they're doing is, wow, I've been chosen for something pretty special. Right? I've been chosen for something pretty cool. Power's going out. I wonder if I'm going to be doing something like that too. I wonder, you see what I mean? They're, they're doing something that's got them in a certain place to where power coming out, this is a corrupting thing. By the way, let me say something. Why did he pray all night? This is sidebar for a quick second. Why did he pray all night? Just to figure out who to choose? I don't think so. I think he knew who to choose. You do realize that when he picked these guys that, that 11 of the 12 are going to die horrible deaths just like him. Killed prematurely in horrible ways. Pulled apart, some of them. Hung upside down and on a cross, some of them. They're gonna, all but John are going to die unnatural deaths. And Jesus says that right when he's with John and all that. But, but the point is, is when he's praying all night, what's he praying for? I think it's pretty tough to, to ask someone to come and to be a disciple and to be an apostle knowing what you're actually calling them to when they don't. I, th I see incredible love in that prayer. I see a heart to, you know what I mean? Now, did they also get something pretty cool? Yeah, I mean, they changed the whole world, right? I mean, I don't think any of the disciples would ever have traded what they got to do with Jesus and after Jesus if they wouldn't be killed, right? I mean, I know that that's the case because none of them ended up renouncing, even though every one of them was given the opportunity. If you'll just renounce Christ, we'll let you go. And all of them said, no, go ahead and kill me. I can't renounce Christ. So they made their choice, even unto death, that they chose what he gave them. So again, it's not horrible for Jesus to do it, right? To pick them. But you do understand there's something that's very, very serious that's going on here. And now back to our story. Here I am, and I'm doing miracles, and they're seeing these miracles. Can you just imagine what their first thought is about what they're going to get to do? This is like Coolsville. The Messiah is going to come and deliver us from the Romans. He's doing all these miracles. He's called me to be part of his inner circle. I'm on the cabinet of the president, so to speak. You see what I mean? I mean, this is like Coolsville. This is, this is an opportunity. This is, is, don't you see that there's something in him that power's coming out from him? You know, that's one of the only times it's said exactly like that. It's the most awkward phrasing. He had power to heal and things like that. But this is the most awkward phrasing it ever talks about Jesus' power. And I think it does so on purpose. Because it's trying to bring attention to that there was something very powerful happening. See? And I think it's the kind of thing that it kind of catches the disciples up. So thanks again. You'll probably come up again. I have no idea. But be ready, okay? So what, what does he do next? More miracles and more power so they can get puffed up and so that they can get, you know, psyched up and faithed up for how they're supposed to go out and do miracles? What comes next? Again, remember the connective tissue between these stories, the flow that the Holy Spirit is giving so that we can see how he's training the disciples and us. What's the very next thing that happens? Looking up at his disciples, who is he talking to? 
Whenever we see this in a, in a movie, it's always the whole crowd. And he is talking to the crowd too, but who's he looking at? The guys that have just seen him move in power. And here's what he says to them. Blessed are the poor. Now do you see what a challenge that is to any spirit, understanding, thought that they may have of being better? Of being chosen, of being stronger, of being more? You see what he does? You who are poor are blessed because the kingdom of God is yours. You who are now hungry are blessed. By the way, I almost didn't use Holman on this one, but I liked it in other places. I probably should have went over to ESV. The, the, the more proper way of putting it is, blessed are the poor. It's more direct. See? He's saying, blessed are the poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are the hungry because you'll be filled. Blessed are those who weep because you're going to laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. Now, whenever you've heard this preached before, and when you read it, there is this thing that we call the B-attitudes. See, this is the way you're supposed to be. Isn't that how you've heard it preached, right? Because here's what we do with it. Here's, here's what we do. We come to people and we say to them, poor, what does that mean, really? Well, you know, you're destitute in spirit because you know your need for God. And hungry, what does that mean? You hunger and thirst for the things of God. And, and weeping, what does that mean? Well, you know, you so want God to come. See, so you need to be these things so that, what? Because it makes you blessed. See, you want to get into heaven? Be poor in spirit. Be hungry. Be weeping. See it? That's how we think about this verse. Don't we? It turns out it's exactly the opposite of that. Let me ask you a question. Any of you who have ever been poor in here, and I have been desperately poor, and for a long period of time. I mean, poor to the point I couldn't buy clothes, and we were hungry. I, we never starved, so I want to be careful because God was faithful to provide to that point. But we lived very, very, very poorly to the point that I have stories that have scarred my personality and me from being that poor, okay? You don't often hear me say that, because you hear the other side a lot from me, but that's the truth in my life too, right? I was rich and I was poor, truly. And, then, and at both ends of that spectrum, pretty much. Now, how, who in here, you don't have to raise your hands. Who in here has been poor? Okay, you don't have to raise your hands. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But here's what I want to say. Was it a blessing? <laughs> I'm not saying that God can't do something, so that's an awesome, that's an awesome answer. But I just want to ask you the plain question. The plain question is, was it a blessing to be poor? In fact, here's how we think. It's the same way that they thought back in that day, and this is one of the reasons why Jesus is saying it. If you're poor, it's because you're not blessed. <laughs> if you're poor, it's because you've done something wrong, because you're a sinner, because you haven't been hungering and thirsting for God, because you've been hungering and thirsting for things of the world, and it has ruined you. And when you're poor, it's kind of comeuppance, right? It's our formula for how we get around people. When they are destitute like this, they made choices in order to get there, and so they kind of deserve it. You do realize in India, the reason why they don't help people, and this is what's so funny about the Asian religions, and you do realize that in, in Hinduism, the reason why you're poor is because you really messed up in the last life, 
So you got to be poor now. You got to be really destitute now. And the caste system is because you, you can't help those people. If you help them, they don't learn their lesson. See? So you're not helping them by helping them. So consequently, you get people that you, literally, the theology makes it to where you can't help people that are in need. It's a bad thing for them. And let you off the hook, by the way. Because that's a really great formula right there. If you don't ever want to challenge your comfort, if you don't ever want to have to go into a difficult area with another human being, there's a great theology for you. You catch a drift? I'm not slamming the whole thing, I'm just saying, okay? What, what, what I want us to get to is, is when you were hungry, when you were hungry, were you sitting there going, and I'm not talking about fasting, I'm talking about you couldn't have, you didn't have enough money to eat, were you thinking to yourself, oh, I'm so blessed? Or even more than that, and here's the key to it. You see, when we make these the Beatitudes, we actually make these things out to be a kind of works that gets us into heaven. Anybody remember Monty Python and the Holy Grail? I was going to show the clip, but I decided, I, I don't know. I probably should have done it. But Monty Python and the Holy Grail, remember the, the priests that were walking in to this tower, and they were going, oh, yeah, whack, and they'd hit themselves in the head. Right? Oh, yeah, whack. <laughs> See, the way you get into heaven is, is that you make yourself poor and hungry. You, have, you've seen these strains in Christianity, right? I'm going to take a vow of poverty. I'm, I love somebody who's not willing to let riches rule them, right? Pope Francis, God bless him, right? I love somebody who's going to take the, the, the Bishop of Bling and boot his butt, right? That's good stuff. But understand something, being poor is not a virtue. It's not a virtue that gets you into heaven, when we make these the be attitudes, we make them into be things of works as if it earns us something. When we're the ones who are supposed to understand that there's nothing we can do to gain anything. That it is grace and grace alone, and that's actually what's being talked about here. Because what he's saying is, he's not saying, blessed are you because you're poor. He's saying, if you're poor, this is your time of blessing. Because I'm here, and the world has been calling you cursed, and I'm here to help you, to make you not poor, <laughs> to make you not hungry, to take away the weeping that you've been doing. Now, yes, you will still be hated, because this is all upside down from how the world does it. Do you see that? But do you get it? When he comes, doesn't this sound, don't the Beatitudes sound just a little bit like what Jesus said his ministry was? Because what he said was, poor, hungry, weep, hated. And what he said at the very beginning was, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to be good news to who? That's what the Beatitudes mean. I'm here. You're poor. Some of that is the world and its corruption and perversion. This is not what I intended. I had a garden for you. And I love you. And you are not cursed of God. You are loved of God. And I want to bring you, myself, a blessing. <laughs> See? I want to bless you. I want to take you from being hungry and from being all these things. Do you see it? Now, does that sort of, 
hopefully that sort of upends our understanding of the Beatitudes. It is not the Beatitudes. It's the blessings. He's saying if you're poor and if you're hungry and if you're blind and if you're captive and if you're all of these things, I'm coming and I'm going to help because I love you, because I care about you, because I'm with you, because I'm for you. Do you see it? In fact, he goes into more, if you want to understand, see, the way the world looks at it is rich people are blessed. Now, we don't so much think that because we still have this good Puritan work ethic in us and so on. That would be more of a, but, but there still is this sense, right, that, you know, there's some people that are, bad, that are rich because they cheated people and they're bad. But there's other people that are rich because they did really good things and that's how they got rich. And you see, you catch the spirit of it. And here's what he's actually saying again, turning the world upside down. He says, woe to you when you're rich for you've received your comfort. He's not saying it's bad to be rich. He's just saying, do you want reward now or do you want it later? Do you want the bigger reward? What are you doing? What's your attitude? What's your heart? Woe to you who are full now. You're going to be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing. You're going to mourn and weep. If you do things the world's way, it looks like it's good for you, but it turns out it's not. <laughs> You end up hungry. You end up mourning. Because you went after the world and not God. His grace, his mercy, his love, his heart. You were not his disciple. You were not his apostle being sent to do his will in his way. You see it? Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way the ancestors used to treat the false prophets. And again, we could go into so much more but what I want to do right now is I want to, I'm going to take a moment here and I'm going to show you something. This is Dallas Willard and this is from a book called The Divine Conspiracy, which uh, I, I think this is, Christianity Today I think had this in their top 100 of the last 100 years and I think it might have been the top book of the last 20 years or so. And I love it, but I got to tell you I actually found some problems in it this time as I was going through it. And so I, I can't recommend it without any reservations, but you know, that just, welcome to a big club, right? But this is a phenomenally good book if you want to know the heart of God. Okay, I, think he, I think he goes too far in some instances is all I'm saying, and I, I won't go into it because it's not important. But do you see his paraphrase right here? Blessed are the physically repulsive. Why? Because I love them, and I'm coming to them. I'm coming to the ones who know they need help. The people who don't think they need help because they've got everything already, they've taken me out of play. They don't need me. See? People who need me, they're blessed because they receive me and they get who I am. They get my love. They get my personhood. Blessed are those who smell bad, the twisted, misshapen, deformed, too big, too little, too loud, the bald, the fat, the old. Right? I'm going to read this to you. I'm just going to read you so that you can hear the spirit of this because it's just, he says it so much better than I ever could. The flunkouts, the dropouts, the burnedouts, the broken, the broken, the drug heads and the divorced, the HIV positive and herpes ridden, the brain damaged and the incurably ill, the barren and the pregnant too many times or at the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, the unemployed, the unemployable, the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced, the parents with children living on the street, the children with parents not dying in the proper rest home the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved or emotionally dead. Now, can I say something? When I read that list to you, 
you know that you're supposed to be after those people, right? That we're supposed to be doing God's heart, mind, soul, and will. We're supposed to be his hands and his feet, his heart, his love manifested. So we get that we're supposed to be after those people. But then he'll say some things and he'll go into, here's the people who God also is trying to bless. These are people that we don't necessarily want to bless. The murderers and the child molesters. Is he trying to set child molesters free? Would you have a pedophile over to your house for dinner? Would you? Do you know that he's trying to heal them? We know that, right? We know that. But would you not just be a hearer but a doer and actually have the pedophile over? No, Curtin, here's why. Because, you know, their recidivism is so high and they're never going to get free of it. And they're, right? Well, okay, yeah, probably not now. I'm not saying there's not wisdom to be had in being careful. But let's just go. The brutal and the bigoted, drug lords and pornographers, war criminals and sadists, terrorists, the perverted and the filthy and the filthy rich, the David Berkowitzes, son of Sam, the Jeffrey Dahmers, and the Colonel Noriegas. Can't we feel some sympathy for Jesus' contemporaries who huffed at him? When we say, can't we feel some sympathy, here's what he's saying. Aren't we just like the religious leaders that we just condemned for not understanding that the tax collector was somebody that Jesus loved? Aren't we also being like the religious leaders? And if Jesus were to come today and show up and go to dinner with these people, wouldn't we have an issue with it? This man is cordial to sinners and even eats with them. Sometimes I feel I don't really want the kingdom to be open to such people, but it is. That's the heart of God. And as Jonah learned from an experience preaching to those wretched Ninevites, we can't shrink him down to our size. And in part because such were some of you. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If I, as a recovering sinner myself, accept Jesus' as good news, I can go to the mass murderer and say, you can be blessed in the kingdom of heavens kingdom of heaven. There is forgiveness that knows no limits to the pederast, to the perpetrator, to the perpetuator of incest, to the worshiper of Satan, to those who rob the aged and the weak, to the cheat and the liar, the bloodsucker and the vengeful, blessed, 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 as they flee into the arms of thy, the kingdom among us. They are God's grubby people. In their midst, a Corrie ten Boom takes the hand of a Nazi who killed her family members. This scene is strictly not of this earth. Any spiritually healthy congregation of believers in Jesus will more or less look like these brands plucked from the burning. If the group is totally nice, that is a sure sign something has gone terribly wrong. For here are the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised of the world whom God has chosen to cancel out the humanly great. In other words, those who were first will be last. In humans' eyes, these people were the great ones. And God has chosen the people from the highways and the byways. We're going to take a minute here. And it's not going to be a terribly long thing. But I, I really, I just really am wanting to do some of this, get involved. Not just hear a word, which we all know it goes in one ear and we really mean to keep it in our hearts. But then it just tends to sort of 
flow out of us by Monday or Tuesday and we don't really got it, right? And all educational theory is telling us that you've got to do something in order to try and capture it and think about it, bring it alive, bring it to a different parts of your brain so that it starts becoming part of you. So what we're going to do is a short discussion right now. And then we're closing and we should be right on time today, praise God. But, but, but do, you get what, do you get what I need here? We really need people. I, I'm, the first question that I'm going to ask you is, is, what are you going to do about this? Right? I mean, I want you to think about that question right now. Would you start thinking about that? I've just told you something. Is it true? <laughs> or not? Okay, because I can tell you it certainly did rock my formula. So if it's true, I've got to do something about it. I'm not going to be a hearer and not a doer. Right? So what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? And what I really want us to, to look at is, is let's, we're going to get practical pretty quick, and, and I want you to start talking about what would impede you from actually doing this? Where are fears? How can we help each other get past our fears so that we can enter into a promise? A promise that says, when you be my hands and feet and heart, then I'll do my work through you. Isaiah 58, like I say, perfect, perfect scripture for today. So we got two guys with mics, and we're going to do it slightly differently today. I just want you to raise your hands, and then I'm going to have them go to the people that are raising their hands, and I can explain why I'm doing that some other time because it's not important right now. But just who wants to say something out here to just get it started? Patricia, go ahead. Okay. Run it all the way back. It'll be on. Oh, it's on. Yeah. So when I was talking up front, I, I just read through, and then it said, um, don't ignore your family. And I said, oh, I do that sometimes. And that was kind of like <laughs> off the cuff. And then I realized none of my family saved, and they hate me. And I thought, okay, so I don't want to give anything to them because they hate me. And the Lord has been really working in me through this whole year about just giving to them anyway, yeah. and loving them even though they make no response, and they're not grateful, and yeah. they're not happy about that. That, that line in Dallas Willard where he talks about the Cory Ten Boom thing, if you don't know that story, it's not as powerful. If you do know the story, it's unbelievably powerful. But that line where he says, she takes the hand of the Nazi that killed her family, and, and he says, this is strictly not of this world. Okay? Go ahead, Kathy. Just yesterday, I had uh, an experience with this. Go ahead and stand up. Oh. Um, I was coming out of the Fred Meyer in, in uh, Renton. I was, actually, I'd already finished my shopping and was, you know, loading all of my groceries in the, in the trunk. And um, there was this guy coming out of the main, walking down the sidewalk, and he was kind of Looney Tunes, and he was... Um, you know, making all these motions and signs. Actually, he was a, a young guy, sharp dresser, um, but he was he was saying just n nonsense syllables over and over and over again. And as I, I watched him coming down the aisle, I thought, I actually thought, I'm stuck. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I still had to take my little cart back, you know, up the way he was coming, <laughs> and 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 then I watched this other couple that was you know a few you know, cars down, 
and they, you know, they they literally just turned their back on him and um, pretended that they didn't see him. And I thought, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. So as he walked by me, as he walked up to me, and he was mumbling, and and I, I looked in his face, and I said, man, this guy is young, and he he was trying to avoid looking at me. And I looked at him, and I looked right in his eyes, and I smiled at him, and um, said, good afternoon. I hope you're having a wonderful day. And he looked at me like I was crazy. (laughs) 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 He looked at me like I was crazy. And he just kept on he, he gave me this beautiful smile, and I thought, this man, this man has a beautiful heart. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wish, and, and then yeah. he was gone. And, you know, yeah. he just kept on walking. But anyway, it was so interesting. That was just yesterday. And so all the time you're talking, I'm thinking, what could I have done? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I, I could have I sat there and tried to engage him in in. Um, conversation, but I was afraid of missing the, you know, getting caught in rush hour traffic, and I had to get back up, you know, so that's That's good. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Uh, Go ahead. It's right by you, right here. Go ahead and say your name, and you got to stand up. Yes, I'm John McGowan. My younger sister is Molly, and I'm from St. Louis, and uh, go Cards. No, there we go. But anyway, I just want (laughs) to... I want to praise the Lord for this church. <clears throat> I want to praise the Lord for the pastor. And I want to praise the Lord for Julie. Because you guys have really ministered to my sister. And it's been such a blessing to me. I've you know, been a believer in Christ for a long time. And now I'm convicted I need to pray more for Molly and support her. But again, the spirit of Jesus really flows through you guys and, and through you know the pastor and his wife. And I really praise the Lord for you. And Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful to meet you. We've actually talked before and stuff, but it's this is great. Uh, let's let's pop over to Joel, and then we'll come back. I, I'm sorry, I just saw Joel first, and I want to keep it going on both sides. I'll come back to Ed, and then we'll bounce it over. Somebody trying to get my attention? I I got it. I think I got it. Yeah. Is it on? Should have just been on. Yeah. Now we're live. Okay, um, so one of the things I was going to say is, uh, for for me, um, this is an area where I think I particularly struggle, especially as a Christian, in understanding what we're supposed to go do. And I totally identify, especially, Kurt, with what you're saying, um, and especially some aspects where, you know, I have a five-year-old son at home, right? So yeah. the concept of opening your house and, and, and how that would be, uh, would be difficult. And I, I think on the flip side of it, too, the thing I've struggled with um, you know, when you're walking on the city streets and stuff like that and you see somebody you could help, um, is, y- you know, y- they're asking for money oftentimes, right? Or anything will help, you know, on the sign, a dollar or whatever. And mentally, I think for my skepticism of the world, I go to the place where it's like, look, they're going to use that dollar, that $5 at whatever, and they're going to go buy alcohol. Right. They're going to buy drugs. I'm not helping them. I'm enabling them, right? And I'm, yeah. I'm not doing something good. And this is where Hannah, uh, my wife, um, just, uh, you know, bless her heart, she figured something out that really worked for her and, and works more for us in terms of our comfort zone. 
that she actually would, now she actually carries granola bars and stuff like that in her purse all the time. So, you know, when we're out there and stuff, we have an opportunity to give them something if, they, if they're hungry or something like that at a level of comfort that's different, um, which sometimes is straight up refused, like, why would I ever take that from you? Yeah. And, and it's difficult, but sometimes it's 100% appreciated, um, which really helped. And another thing she's done, too, uh, was, was, and again, this is before our state liquor laws changed, um, but, but the concept of, you know, she used to buy just gift cards for, like, yeah. Safeway, or, or whatever, like somewhere like economically, it makes sense. And hey, you can go buy some food, you can go buy groceries, stuff like right. that, uh, which was you know, pretty awesome as an opportunity. It's not the whole Good. thing, but it starts us in a place where we feel more comfortable and we were able to actually participate yeah. more than doing nothing, which Good, Joel. was something. Does, does everybody understand that th this sermon is not to say that what you should do is replace one formula with another? If you had a formula that kept you from ever even looking into their eyes, this sermon is not about now you have a sermon now what you're supposed to do with the formula is give everybody five bucks, right? What we're trying to do is actually become the hands and feet of Christ. We're trying to be led by him as he would open our eyes to things, right? Make us to care. You know, look into their eyes, understand, ask the Lord, am I supposed to do some? At some point in time, he's going to say yes. And then do that, right? And one thing leads to another. I mean, he knows who shouldn't be in your house. You get it? I get that hearing him that quickly and so on is tough for people, but I don't know how to get any better at hearing him quickly except by trying to do it all the time. You're right? Go ahead, Ed. We've only got a couple more because, again, I told you we're going to keep this fairly short, but go ahead, Ed. Stand okay. up, Ed. My name is Ed, and I kind of had that, a few thoughts before, and it might have been more appropriate to give it before uh, because it went along beautifully with the sermon, and you would have said, hey, this is, this is God. This isn't just my own thoughts, but anyway. It says, your heart longs for, your, for more. And it's not that you're unappreciative of all that God has done. It's just that God is calling you onward and upward. There is more. It's good. He put that longing in your heart. And if you ask him, then he will guide you to that next step, that missing piece, which will bring you fulfillment. We move from glory to glory. And although our ultimate fulfillment will only come when we behold him face to face, we experience, <clears throat> excuse me, we experience glimpses of his glory when we follow his promptings, step out in faith, and minister to those around us. So step out of your comfort zone and get ready to experience his glory. You were saying you wish you'd read that earlier? I don't really care when you would have read that, Ed. That was just pretty much dead on. Okay? I mean, that was just phenomenal. We'll, we'll do John, and then we'll do maybe one other. Okay, go ahead. I'm John Woodbury. Um, a number of years ago, we brought a homeless young man to our home, put him up for overnight, and then he stayed with us for three or four months. And, uh, but we began to notice that uh, one of his problems was his sexual orientation from the magazines that he would bring home, that kind of thing. He was a believer in a sense, but uh, he got AIDS and died. Oh. And we couldn't change that. Um, the setting to be able to open up and share with someone is the difficult part. Uh, last Wednesday night at Monroe, Special Offender Unit, an inmate asked me to pray for him because he had demon voices. Now, he wasn't manifesting in the crazy look and sounds and all that. And so I did. I had no difficulty 
doing that. The ones that bother me are the guys on the street corner with the sad story. Yeah. And I know from observation that some of them are just scams. That's just a way to get money to support the drug habits and so on. There's no opportunity to witness to them or anything. And I struggle with how yeah. to listen to God and know when to That's intervene right. and when not. And I think we all do, John. But hold it, John, before you give that up. I want to ask you a question. When you invited that guy into your home, were you scared? For those of you who didn't hear that, she stood up and she said, oh, let me talk. Yeah. So this guy was in prison and was getting released. And John wanted to invite him to our home to live. And he just, he didn't quite say it that way. And that the thing was, he was going to be gone from Friday night to Monday on a weekend that this guy was coming into the house. And I said, you're going to put him up in a hotel. We will get him on Monday when you're here. So the answer is yes. <laughs> and there is, right? Look, I, look, if you're trying, I don't think that you should go past that check in your spirit that is uncomfortable with something, even if you're wrong. I think that God understands that you're trying, right? That's what he cares about. That's what he's going to minister in. That's where he's going to make that difference, right? If you're trying, you're just going to learn more about it as you're trying. Tracy, and I think we're going to have to cut it off at there behind you. Behind you, VJ. Sorry. Hey, by the way, VJ's doing front of the house for the first time ever. This is yet another guy. Jesse has raised him up. We want to thank you, VJ. Okay. Thank you. Go ahead, Tracy. Um, I really appreciated what Patricia said about family. <laughs> I had a, my brother was married to a woman who said to me one day, you know what I really hate? And I said, what's that, Susie? I hate Christians. <laughs> Wow, cool. And she, you know, and she said, I just hate the way they wear everything on their sleeve. They think everybody else is beneath them. Don't give me any of your, excuse me, S-H-I-T, about Jesus. Okay? <laughs> All right, cool. So my brother was uh, diagnosed with cancer. It was a very serious throat cancer. And um, um, I was praying about him and asking the Lord, is there anything that you want me to do? I mean, you know, that's very hard when you've got somebody in your family that's um, by the way, my brother and I had a great relationship, but I was scared of my sister-in-law. And uh, when somebody's ill, it's hard because there's nothing you can do, really. Praying, of course, but uh, beyond that, not really. And um, so he said, yeah, I want you to go and anoint him with oil. Really? Seriously? Yeah, seriously. And I said, okay, Lord, what you want me to do basically amounts to me going to Nineveh, where all those hate Christian haters are, and anoint him with oil. He said, yes, I do. So I called my brother and said, this is what I heard the Lord tell me. Is that okay with you? He said, yeah, come on over. Well, what about Susie? <laughs> What's she going to say? He goes, well, it's my tumor. I said, okay. <laughs> so I drove over there, and I was almost sick to my stomach. I was so nervous because this woman, God bless her, but she'd just been so hideous to me for, on a number of occasions. So I'm praying on the way over there, okay, Lord, here's the deal. Let's have the two sons, my nephews, and Susie gone. It was late, uh, late morning on a Saturday. Could you just make them gone, not there? And so I figured he'd you know, go along with that. Well, I drive up to the house, and all four cars are there. It's like, oh, okay, this is going to work. But I went into the house, and both boys were still in bed, which was very unusual. And my sister-in-law was right, you could see right through the dining room into the kitchen. She was doing dishes with her back to me, and she had headphones on, and she was listening to music. She even knew I was there. 
I said, okay, let's do this. And I, so I, 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 did, I did the prayer, anointed him with oil, and his tears, it, it was just astonishing to me. And by the way, he became a Christian uh, about two months before he died. But, but I anointed him with oil. I didn't know why. But what I love about that, what God did for me, is it showed me, Trace, you can't do any of this without me. It's my power alone. Amen. Because I did not want to do it. Amen. And, and it made a huge difference in his life. He didn't get healed. But he got into the kingdom in a powerful way. So that's yeah. awesome. Uh, we really do need to go on, guy. Is it short? Because I'm, I'm, I got a time. Is, is it short? You know what? I don't care, guy. Sorry. One more. That's it. I promise. And we're not going to do any more. Bad guy. Go ahead. Thanks. I wasn't going to say anything. My name is Guy Morris. Um, um, I've been coming here for 12 years, and I think this is probably one of the best sermons I've heard. I was one of those people. I was homeless at 13 years old. I was on the streets by myself. I was that person that all of you walked on the other side of the street from. And I tell you, the deepest wound of my whole life was knowing that I could be hurting so bad and I was invisible to the people who claimed to know God the most. There is nothing, I was a drug addict. And I got to tell you, I needed those drugs to numb that pain that I went through that I woke up with every single day. And there is nothing that happens in this church that doesn't become as real as if it happens out there where the people exactly are hurting. Right. And I only came to Christ because one time, one time, somebody walked around the other side of the street. They came up behind me. And they walked with me and they wouldn't stop talking to me even when I tried to punch them until they prayed for me. And when they started praying for me, the spirit came on me and I fell in the gutter on my knees. I had never been to a church one day in my entire life. And God saved me that day because somebody was willing to care even though I was ugly and I was dirty and I had blood on my shirt and I look like the kind of person that you would definitely never bring home. And this ministers to me that this church is even Amen. willing to have this conversation. Amen. And the fact that it's been 12 years and I'm hearing this conversation for the first time is encouraging for me in ways that you can't understand. Because for 12 years, I've been sitting in the back of this church as the homeless person. And most people don't even know. Because deep in my heart, I've never left the streets. I've never left that sense of, uh, I'll never be anything better than what I was. And God knows it, and I know it. And um, I went on from there to get master's degrees and everything else. But I've never left being a street kid. Well, I'm really glad that we went ahead and did one more. And I'm sure if we kept going that there would be even more stories. And we just want to come before you right now, Lord Jesus. And we just want to ask you that you would make us the church that was actually you. Not the one that we had uh, filtered and formulated the formulas which we thought were acceptable to you and ended up doing and being the very Pharisees that we can look at so judgingly. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, bring us into a new vibration.